Uh, well, good morning. My name's Chris. We haven't had a chance to meet yet. Um, we'll get to be one of your pastors here at New Life. And if you are new, uh, just so you know, one of the things that we like to do here is systematically work through uh, books of the Bible. So we don't do that all the time, but we do that oftentimes. And there's a couple reasons why we do that. We think it's healthy for us to, to work through books of the Bible. I think it's healthy for us as a church family to do that. It's also healthy for me as a pastor to do that because when we work through a book of the Bible systematically, I don't get to skip the hard stuff, right? I don't just get to preach what I want to preach. I got I to preach the good stuff and I got to preach uh, the hard stuff. So I think it's a healthy discipline for us just to kind of work through uh, scripture a, as it's presented in the Bible. So we're in 1 John. We're going to continue in that series. It's called Love and Light. That's the name of the series that we're in. And I don't know if you know this or not, but, but Christians believe some really wild things. Did you realize that? Like we, we, we make some pretty bold claims as followers of Jesus, right? For instance, we believe that God spoke everything into existence, right? That he, he spoke and the stars were born and the galaxies were spread all, out across time and space. We believe that Jesus came to earth, the God-man, God wrapped in human flesh that he lived a perfect sinless life that in his time on planet earth he performed all kinds of crazy mind-blowing miracles like he walked on water he fed hungry people thousands of hungry people with just one little basket of, of bread and fish he he raised dead people back to life and then he himself after he was crucified was raised back to life and we believe as Christians that one day he's coming back again on the clouds to make everything right and set everything uh, just as it should be like we believe some wild things as Christians and out of all the wild things that we believe as followers of Jesus I think the maybe the most wild thing we believe is is this that we can actually know God right like like not not, not we, know, we know about God, like we know some, some facts about him, like we've memorized some things from some certain Bible verses, like we know facts about God. No, 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 our claim as Christians is, I know God. Like I know him personally, like I know him experientially. Like, and you gotta understand, if you're new to the faith or maybe you're just kind of on the fence, you're not really sure about this whole Christian thing, this claim separates the Christian worldview from pretty much every other worldview out there. Because pretty much every other world religion teaches that God is distant, that he's unknowable, that he's far off, and that human beings have to kind of work their way to God. And, and at the end of it all, maybe you did enough, maybe you didn't do enough. Like no, no assurance at all, no assurance at, at all in eternity because in most other worldviews and religions, God is unknowable to the finite human being. And then 1,900 years ago, Jesus steps onto the scene and he begins to flip that entire paradigm on its head. I you think about the story in, in the Gospels. You probably remember the story where his disciples come to Jesus and they say to Jesus, hey, hey, listen, we've, we've noticed that the way that you pray to your father is, is powerful. It's different than the way that our Pharisees, our religious teachers uh, pray in the synagogue. We notice that the way that you pray is relational and it has power and it has meaning. And so Jesus, would you, would you teach us your method for prayer? Like we want to pray like you, Jesus. And do you remember the first words that he tells his disciples on how to pray? Do you remember the words? That's right. Somebody just said it. Our father. He's like, when you, when you pray, I want you to start your prayer like this our father our, our our heavenly dad 
Now, if you're like me and you grew up in church, we kind of hear that. We shrug our shoulders. We go, yeah, so what? (laughs) But you got to understand, in that culture, to personalize God like this was both scandalous and blasphemous. See, Jesus was saying, and you need to understand this, you can know God. Not just know about God, like you literally can, you can personally know God. In fact, he's your heavenly father, he's your heavenly dad. He's presenting this idea of relationship between a broken human being, just like you and just like me, with the creator of this universe. It's this idea of relational intimacy. So that now the Christian claim is, I know God. And we can say things like, they just seem wild, just seem almost crazy to the world around us. Like, I know God. Like, I talk to God and he hears me. Like, I pray to him and he actually, he answers my prayer. Like, I open up his word and like his spirit speaks to me in supernatural ways. Not every time, but a lot of times. Like, I know the God of this universe. Like, I know God. That's a wild, outlandish claim that only we as Christians actually believe. But here's my guess. Even if you're a Christian, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a number of years, I'm guessing you probably have wrestled with moments of doubt, if you're like me. And maybe you've wondered things like, uh, do, I, do I really belong to God? Will I really, will I really be with him for eternity when, when I die? What, what if when I prayed that prayer last year or five years ago or 10 years, however long it's been, what, what if I didn't really pray it hard enough? Like, what if, I didn't, what if I didn't mean that prayer, like, with all of my heart? Like, does anybody else ever struggle with questions like that? Am I the only one that struggles? Okay, like, like seven of you, right? So we've either got the most holy church in history or the church with the most liars in history. I'm pretty sure I know which one it is, but I'll, I'll just leave that to you. Now, here's the great thing about First John. First John is all about how you can know you belong to Jesus. The whole letter is all about how you can know that you belong to Jesus. And today, John's going to give us three ways. He's going to give us three ways we can know that we belong to God. Three ways we can know we can belong, belong to God. And then he's going to give us two applications that flow out of those three ways that we know we belong to God. All right? So that'll be kind of the game plan uh, this morning in our text as we wrap up chapter 4. Uh, but if you would, would you bow your heads? Let's, let's pause and just ask. God, help us as we dive into his word this morning. God, we come to you, and uh, gosh, we're so grateful that you've given us your word, that you haven't left us to just kind of try to feel our way through life and figure out how it is that we're supposed to live to please you, to honor you. You've actually given us your word. You've given us, you've left us with your spirit to guide us, and so... We ask, Father, that you would meet us now in this place, in this space, in this time. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be here present with us. That you would take these words that were written so many years ago, that you would illuminate them in a spectacular way, that you would apply these things to our hearts. Not so that we could be puffed up with knowledge and just know more about the Bible than everybody else, God, but so that we would experience heart transformation, starting with us, so that we could be the light that you've called us to be to our neighbors and our friends and our classmates and everybody in this dark world that needs hope, the hope that we have through your son, Jesus. 
So help us now, be with us now. We ask it all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Or if you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and open it up. If you've got a Bible app, go ahead and turn your device on head for 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 13 this morning, and uh, by God's grace, we're going to wrap up chapter 4 today. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 13. This is the Apostle John, Jesus' uh, best friend on planet Earth, and he's writing this to the church. He says this, By this we know that we abide in him. That's John's way of saying we know God, or we belong to God. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And so the first way that we can know that we belong to God or abide in him, as John said, is because, and this is truth number one on the screens for you, number one, God has given us his spirit. That's the first way we can know whether we belong to God or not. So I I just want to say this morning, if you're in Christ, friend, do you... Do you know, do you realize that you have the very Holy Spirit of God living and dwelling you? Do you realize that? Now, if you're like me, man, you kind of grew up in church, you've heard this, and man, it can be easy for us to become numb to these radical spiritual truths and just kind of glaze over them as we read through them or teach through them. But this is incredible. We have the very Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. I want you to watch the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 1 on the screens for you. Paul writes this, in him you also... By the way, he's about to tell us uh, the three steps of becoming a, a Christian. And so if you're, if you're kind of here, just kind of exploring, just checking it out, here it is. Here's the whole shebang in one nutshell. He's going to give it to us, the three steps of becoming a Christian. In him, you also, step number one, when you heard the word of truth. That's the first thing, right? We, all of us who know Jesus, we heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He says the gospel of your salvation. Step number two, and believed in him. So we got to hear it first. That's step number one. Step number two is after we've heard the gospel, we internalize it. We say yes to Jesus. I'm going to surrender my life to him. I'm going to make him the king of my life. We believed in him. And here's the third step in what John is getting at. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So listen, Christian, when you heard the gospel When you believed in Jesus, John is saying, Paul is saying, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. Now let me just, for a moment, park here, not for long, but for a minute, because I think there's a little bit of confusion out there in some church circles about how we get the Holy Spirit and how much of the Holy Spirit we get at conversion. All right, so let let me just be extremely clear with you this morning. When you believe in Jesus, you get all of the Holy Spirit. He is one person. He is one entity. I want you to hear me say this. It is not possible to get 73% of the Holy Spirit. You either got him or you don't got him. When you became a Christian, you got all of the Holy Spirit. So let me just encourage you. Do not believe anyone who would say to you, you need a second indwelling of the Holy Spirit or you need a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes these folks would teach that that second experience would be evidenced by speaking in tongues. No, when you believed, you got the whole deal. Now, having said that, before you pull out your phones and start emailing me, my charismatic friends, while we are indwelled by all of the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion, being filled by the Spirit is a lifelong process. And so, even though I fully acknowledge and agree with the writers of the New Testament that I was indwelled 
by the Holy Spirit, when I gave my life to Jesus as a 20-year-old sophomore in college, I still pray for fillings of the Holy Spirit all the time. For instance, if I'm, if I'm going into a, what I think might be a particularly challenging meeting where there's going to be some tension, I, I pray. I specifically go to the Holy Spirit, and I just pray, Holy Spirit, please be present in that room. Like, pl- like please, please show up, be present in that conversation, because if you're not there, I'm going to mess it up. So Holy Spirit, please, please soften my words, help my, help my words land in soft places and spaces in their mind, in their heart. God, would you, would you give us unity in the, in the Spirit? So I pray those prayers all the time. Even though I'm dwelled by the Spirit, I've been indwelled by the Spirit for 20 years, I pray for those fillings of the Holy Spirit. I need those. I need those. Oftentimes, we're pretty much every Sunday on my way here when I'm driving, I got a 15-minute commute from my house on the north side to, to New Life, and pretty much every Sunday I pray, Holy Spirit, would you empty me of me and would you fill me with you? Like our, our people don't need to hear my opinion. Our, our, our people don't need my personality. Like our, our people need a fresh word from the living God of this universe. So God, would you, just, would you just get me out of the way? Would you hide me behind your son by the power of the Holy Spirit? I heard uh, a couple years ago, I don't even remember the, the guy, but it's a famous, famous pastor um, one of the great preachers from centuries past and, and it was talking about how right before he would get up to preach in his church he would just pray the same few words over and over again to prepare his heart and the words were these I believe in the Holy Spirit 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 and I've just adopted his practice so if you've ever wondered what is Chris thinking right before he gets up that, I'm not even thinking that's, I'm just praying I believe in the Holy Spirit I believe in the Holy Spirit I believe in the Holy Spirit why? Why would I do that? Why did he do that? Because unless he shows up, I will 100% mess it up. Like, here's the deal, guys. I, I know who I am apart from Christ. I know who I am apart from Christ. I know who I am apart from the, in, the inward working of the Holy Spirit inside of me. I've told you guys this story before, man. I was the shy kid in school my whole life, even in college, who would take a lower grade in my class to skip the public speaking portion of the class. I'm just telling you, like, unless he shows up, we're, we're all in trouble. Like, every week, we're just wasting our time. More than that, unless the Holy Spirit shows up out there where you are, my words are empty and worthless. Without him taking these words and applying them to, to your hearts and your lives in a supernatural way that only he can do. I can't do. I don't have the ability to do. So I want you to know, man, I I believe in the Holy Spirit. If you're here, you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to know this morning, you have all of the Holy Spirit. You don't have 70%, you don't have 80%, you got 100% of the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. Now this has massive implications for your life. I don't know if you realize that or not. Massive implications. I want you to look at Romans chapter eight. This is Paul again writing to the church in Rome almost 2,000 years ago. He says this, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Did you catch that? Paul is saying, hey, Christian, you have, listen, you have the same Holy Spirit power inside of you that raised Jesus from the dead. 
Like, have you just thought about that at any time recently? You have the same Holy Spirit power indwelling you that raised Jesus from the dead almost 2,000 years ago. And I just wonder, church, if we really believed that, how would it change the way that we pray? I mean, if, if we actually, we didn't just like verbalize, like articulate that we believe it, but we, if we actually believe that, how would that change the way that we pray? I'm thinking a lot of our puny, flimsy, weak prayers would go away real quick. And I'm thinking we would start praying way bigger prayers than most of us pray. How, how, would that, how would that change the way that we live our lives if we really believed that? That we have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us right now that raised Jesus from the dead. How would that change the way that you live? How would that change the way that you interact with the world around you? Would you be more bold? Would you be more fearless? Would you have less anxiety? And yet, that's exactly what the writers of the New Testament, John and Paul, are saying. You have the same Holy Spirit inside of you, Christian, that raised Jesus from the dead. And John is saying that is the first assurance that we belong to God, that he has given us his spirit. That is huge. Don't ever lose sight of how massive this truth is, Christian. Now here's the second assurance. He continues on in verse 14. He says this, and we have seen and testify. Now watch the Trinitarian nature of the way that he articulates this. We're moving from the spirit. Now he says, and we have seen. We testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Again, notice the Trinitarian thread throughout, woven throughout the tapestry of John's writings here. We, again, we opened a few minutes ago with the Holy Spirit. Now we have the Father sending the Son. We have all three persons of the Godhead present here, Father, Spirit, Son. And John now aims to shift our attention from the Spirit to the Son. John says, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And man, what a, what a great missional reminder to us. We had earlier this morning, Pastor Rodney was teaching a, a large class in our Journey 301 about the, the nature and purpose of missions in the church. What a great missional reminder to those of us who know Jesus that the good news is not meant to be kept under wraps. We were, we were designed, we were, we were designed to live as, as beacons of light in a dark world. We were never designed or purposed to live kind of in this Christian bubble as hoarders of the good news. We were intended to, to take it to the world. Why? John just tells us why. Because Jesus came as the Savior of the world. Now, having said that, let me just say this, and I don't, I don't think that this is an issue for any of you, but I think it's worth saying when we take that message of hope to the world around us about Jesus, the good news of the gospel, that ought never come from us in an arrogant way, right? Or an abrasive, uh, arrogant, prideful tone. As it's been said, Christians, the, 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 the posture that we ought to take with the world around us is that we're simply beggars telling other beggars where we found the bread, right? There should be a humility that just kind of bays our words and our attitudes to those around us who are not yet in Christ. Never in arrogance, never abrasive, always in love. And yet there is this missional tone. This is not something we are to hoard for ourselves. So it's meant to be shared with our neighbors, our colleagues, our classmates, our friends. 
John pivots in verse 15 and he goes, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now remember that John is writing this letter, at least in part, to give assurance to believers, to followers of Christ. He, want, he wants us to be sure. John wants us to know that we actually belong to God. Like he doesn't want us to live in this weird sort of tension. Like, man, am I in? Am I not in? Did I, did I really pray hard enough? Did I really mean it enough when I pray? Like he wants us to know that we belong to God. Or he wants us to know that we don't belong to God so that we can then come into a relationship with him through his son, Jesus. So the second way, according to John, that we belong to God, besides having the spirit of God indwelling us, number two, is that we confess the son. That's what he just said in verse 14. We confess the son. I think Paul, again, is helpful for us in Romans chapter 10 on the screens for you. Paul writes this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and here's the second piece of that, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, there's this connection between confession of the mouth and true heart belief. And I've talked to you guys about this before, but I think it's worth mentioning again. There are, unfortunately, I'm afraid, in American churches today, no small number of people who would simply profess or confess Jesus would give lip service to knowing him, cultural Christians we might call them. But Paul reminds us that authentic confession comes from true heart transformation. Authentic confession comes from true heart transformation. So let me just say, man, if you're here, if you're watching online, and I say this in love, if your life doesn't reflect Jesus, never really has. If your life doesn't reflect his teaching and his values, but you're staking your eternity on some prayer that you said years ago when you were a little kid or VBS or youth camp or whatever it is that hasn't impacted your life in any discernible way, I would just say, again, in love, you would be wise, friend, today to examine your salvation. Now, the, the flip side of that coin is if you can say this morning, man, man, I love Jesus. God, I love Jesus. Like I, I, I fail him consistently. I know I don't follow him perfectly, but, but Jesus is, man, he's everything to me. He took me from a place of hopelessness in my life and he gave me hope. He took me from a place of spiritual darkness and now I have freedom and life. If, if, if that idea, man, stirs affection in your heart when you think about Jesus or you talk about Jesus, I want you to know the only way you can confess Jesus that way is when the Spirit of God indwells you. Because the Scriptures teach us that the natural man, apart from Christ, cannot love Jesus this way. So if you think of Jesus and your heart is stirred, when you talk about him, if your heart is stirred, this is evidence that you do in fact belong to God. Now again, this should serve as great assurance to you that if you confess the Son from a place of heart belief, you, my friend, do in fact belong to God. So how do we know that we belong to God? Number one, because he's given us his spirit. Number two, because we confess the Son. He's about to give us the third way that we can know we belong to God. Look at verse 16 here. He says, so we have come to know and to believe, our, this is the idea of trust. So we have come to know and to believe or to trust the love that God has for us. God is love. Now, this is like the third time that John has circled around. He said the same exact words. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And what John is saying is this. Not only do you have the Holy Spirit of God, Christian, not only do you confess the Son because you have the Son, but the third way that you know you belong to God is that you trust the Father's love for you. 
unlike many of my friends when I lived in uh, Southeast Asia many years ago and developed really great friendships with, with many uh, Muslims, and most of them were absolutely terrified of their God. Unlike my Muslim friends who were terrified of their God, those in Christ, John is saying, learn to trust their Father's love, to live in His love in such a way that fear slowly begins to dissipate from our lives. And it's not that we never experience fear again, it's that those things don't master us anymore, right? There's a sense of freedom in our hearts, in our lives. Now, in a room this size, I know for a fact that the idea of fatherly love is difficult for many of you. And I know that's the case because many of you did not have good earthly fathers. Because, here's the deal, if your earthly father mistreated you, hurt you, abandoned you, walked out on you, maybe abused you in some kind of way. For you, even the idea of trusting in the love of another father seems almost counterintuitive and even dangerous. And a lot of Christian counselors will call this uh, the father wound. And many of us, whether you realize it or not, are walking around today with a father wound. In fact, I would venture to guess that many of you watching online in the room this morning, whether you realize it or not, have filtered your view of God through that lens. Now, I don't know, for, for some of you, maybe even that's the primary reason that you're here or watching online this morning is to be set free from that toxic, toxic lens that you didn't even know that you were viewing God through. I was, um, I was at the gym earlier uh, this week, and um, oftentimes I'll flip on my Pandora app to uh, the 90s hits, you know, back when they used to make good music in the 90s. And um, I realize every generation thinks that their generation was the last generation that made good music. That's how I know I'm getting old, all right? So uh, you can leave a box of Depends in my office uh, on the way out. But, but I went back, and, and the music really is better. But I went back, and I was listening to some 90s music. Um, and I mean, it just struck me in a fresh way. I didn't realize this when I was like a teenager listening to music, but how much pain drove that decade of music? <laughs> There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering uh, in that decade of music. One song in particular caught my attention, probably wouldn't have even caught my attention except for the topic that I'm preaching on. There's a song that came on uh, called Father of Mine by Everclear. Like maybe five of you maybe remember that. But I was just listening to it, and I'm like, man, this is... There's a lot of pain here. So I went back and I looked up the lyrics and I just want to share a, a little bit of that, that song with you because I think it connects well with what we're talking about here. Here's part of what that song says. It says, Father of mine, tell me where have you been? You know I just closed my eyes and my whole world disappeared. Father of mine, take me back to the day, back before you went away. Remember blue skies walking the block. I loved it when you held me high. I loved to hear you talk. Oh, Father of mine, tell me where did you go? When you look back at your wasted life and you don't see me, I was 10 years old. Sometimes you would send me a birthday card with a $5 bill. I never understood you then, and I guess I never will. Daddy gave me a name, and then he walked away. My daddy gave me a name, and then he walked away. Father of mine, tell me how do you sleep with the children you abandoned and the wife I saw you beat? I will never be safe. I will never be sane. I will always be weird inside. I will always be lame. 
Now I'm a grown man with a child of my own, and I swear I'll never let her know all the pain I have known. And I went back, and as I was reading those lyrics, man, I just wanted to go back in time and give that guy a hug. And I just wanted to say to him, man, like, you, you do have a dad who loves you. You do have a dad that cares. There is a father who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, who will never walk away, who will never abandon you. Like, you are loved by a father in incomprehensible ways. And I just want to say to you this morning, friend, if we have ever really grasped this truth, I promise you, I promise you, regardless of what your experience was with an earthly father, it will revolutionize your entire life. And I just want to say to those of you who are here in the room watching online and you've been failed by your earthly father, just please hear me say this. You have a heavenly father who is everything that your earthly dad never was. Everything you ever hoped for in a dad, you will find in your heavenly father. He is that in a billion times more. He loves you because he is love. That's what John is saying here. So believer, would you, would you learn to rest in your father's love? That's why I said I had to say last week congregationally together that I am loved by God. That's why the essence of the gospel is found in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever, no matter your past, no matter what you've been through, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So I just want to say, man, if you're, if you're here, if you're watching online and you don't have a love relationship with your heavenly father, I just want to invite you into that today. I'm going to invite you to begin that journey with your heavenly father today who is nothing like your earthly father. That's the third way John says that we know we belong to God, that we, we trust our father's love, our heavenly father's love. We learn to, to bask in that love, to bathe in it. We learn to trust him in good times and in bad times. We learn how to internalize the promise found in Romans chapter 8 that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He loves you. He loves me. He, he loves us. This is a beautiful truth that we got to embrace as followers of Jesus. Just this past week, we had a brother in our church, uh, college-age kid, step from this life into uh, eternity. I'll be preaching his, uh, his funeral later this week as I was texting his wife. She said these words to me. She said, Chris, I am heartbroken, but I am not without hope. I'm heartbroken, but I'm not without hope. Now, let me ask you this. How is it that a young widow who just lost her spouse, the father of her daughters, can say in that very moment of loss that she has hope? And I would submit to you this morning, it's only because she trusts the father's love for her. It's only because she can trust the father's love for her. Listen, y'all, this life, this life is not a cakewalk. Now, if you're over like 12, you've already realized that. And the only way, I'm just telling you, the only way you're making it through till the end, still faithful, still in love with Jesus, is by learning to trust the Father's love for you. In good seasons, when things are going the way you want them to, in really hard, tough seasons, when you don't understand why things are happening the way they're happening. This is a way, John is arguing, that we know we belong to God, that we have learned to trust the Father's love for us, good seasons, bad seasons. So do you possess the Spirit? Do you confess the Son? Do you trust the Father's love? Yes? Good. 
good. Let's keep spurring each other on in these areas because we will need one another to do this for a lifetime. Can't do this on my own. You can't do this on your own. This is a big calling. This is a supernatural calling. We're going to need each other to get all the way to the end. All right, two quick applications that flow from the three ways that we can know we belong to God. Back to 1 John 4, verse 17, says this. By this is love perfected in us so that we may have, underline this word, confidence. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, Jesus, so also are we in this world. Verse 18, there is, underline this, no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So what John is saying is when we possess the Spirit, when we confess the Son, when we trust the Father's love, what does that look like in our life? What should be the outcome of those three things in our lives belonging to God? Number one, he's saying that Christians should enjoy a supernatural confidence in life. Now, now what's one of the greatest fears for most people? Is it not death and the day of judgment? Isn't that like probably one of our greatest fears, death and or the day of judgment, standing before God and having to give an account for our lives, all the careless things we did, thoughts we had, words we said? I can remember when I was uh, a little kid, uh, and I didn't have a, a solid relationship with, with the Lord, and my dad was a pastor and missionary, so I, man, I'd heard the gospel from the time that I was an infant, right? And I'd heard the stories about Jesus is going to come back, right? And for the believers, and there's going to be a judgment day. Like, so I had all these thoughts running in, in my mind. So sometimes my parents would leave me and my sister at home, and they would, they would go on a date, and it'd be dark at night. And I'd hear some loud noise outside. I'm like, Jesus is coming back. Crap. You know? <laughs> and I'd have this, I would have this moment of panic, right? Like, ah, I'm not ready for him to come back. And like, the, the thought of Jesus coming back would just, like, incite this fear in my heart for years. Like, it just terrified me, right? Pictures of the Antichrist lopping my head off, and my parents were raptured up, and like, ah, panic time. And now when I hear a loud noise in the sky, and I think for a second it might be Jesus, I just raise my arms. I'm like, come quickly, Lord Jesus. My back hurts. My knees sore. My hip hurt this morning when I woke up. I'm ready for the new resurrected body. There's confidence now. There's com I have confidence now. Well, why? Is it because I've somehow earned it? I've somehow got some kind of moral compass that, have, that my actions have placed me in a place of confidence before God? Do I, have I done enough in my life to stand before the God of this universe in my own strength? No. I have confidence now because Jesus has earned it on my behalf. He lived the life that I should have lived for me. He paid the penalty on the cross, and when he cried out with his final breath, it is finished, he meant it is finished. That my debt is paid, that I am forgiven, and I am free. And so on that last day, by God's grace, I will stand with confidence before my creator. As verse 18 says, with no fear. Why? Because perfect love casts out all fear, John says. He even says, you may have noticed that just as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. Meaning, do you think Jesus cowers in the Father's presence? No. He enters the Father's presence with complete confidence. Nothing but love, confidence, relationship, freedom. And John is saying, you too, believer, 
you live with that same supernatural confidence even on the day of judgment. No fear. Why? Because you are loved. You are forgiven. And you are set free by the blood. That's the first application that we can live in confidence because we belong to God. Here's the second application. Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Who initiated the relationship, us or God? God. That should remove any, any inkling of pride in us. The only way, the only reason we can love God is because he first loved us and his spirit enables us to love him back. It's all him, none of us. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, here John gets serious, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's good. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John is saying, listen, if you can't even love the person sitting next to you who you can see, how do you think you're going to love a God that you can't see? And if you say you love God while you hate a brother or your sister, you're playing games and telling lies. And at the end of the day, you actually don't know God. So here's the, here's the point that John's getting at. When you belong to God, not only will you enjoy supernatural confidence in this life, you will also display radical love for one another. This is one of the outflows of belonging to God, possessing his spirit, confessing the son, trusting the father's love. Not only do we walk in confidence, we walk in love. Now we said this last week, John is driving it home again this week, you cannot know the source of love and be a loveless person. You cannot know the source of love and then continue being a loveless person. And because we have been loved by so great a love by our Heavenly Father, our response is twofold now. We live in confidence, and we live in radical love for one another. As the words of our Savior from the Gospel of John echo in our minds, and I'll put these words on the screen as the band comes and we get ready to pray. The words of Jesus, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, thank you for giving us your word, the scriptures which are alive and active and just as relevant to us in our lives today in 2023 as they were almost 2,000 years ago when they first penned. God, thank you, for, thank you for encouraging us in your word and also challenging us in your word. Thank you that you don't just give us one, you give us both because we need both. We need to be encouraged, but we also need to be challenged. So God, would, would you remind us, those of us who know you, who have pledged our allegiance to King Jesus, that we, we have all of your Holy Spirit. We don't, we don't just have a portion of your spirit. We don't just have a part of your spirit. We don't just have a percentage of your Holy Spirit. We have, we have all of you, the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. God, would you help us grasp that? Would you help us internalize that? God, would you allow that to influence and shape and change the way that we live our lives? Would you allow that to change and shape the way that we pray? Would you allow that to shape the way that we interact with our spouses and our kids and our parents and our friends and our classmates and our coworkers and our neighbors? Like ever, would you allow that truth? We have the Holy Spirit 
inside of us that change the way that we live our lives. May we not come across that truth and just shrug our shoulders as if it were nothing. This is everything. We have your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that your Spirit enables us to confess the Son. So God, collectively, right now, just in the silence of of this room, in our own hearts, we just confess to you, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are king of this entire universe. And more than that, you're king of my heart and my life. And as the scriptures say, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are king and Lord. But we want to do that today in our hearts. We honor you, King Jesus. You are who you said you are. You are the son of God. You are God wrapped in human flesh. We pledge our allegiance and our lives to you. And Father, help help us, help us to trust your love. Help us to to really understand that you are a good father to us, especially for those of us who maybe didn't have great earthly fathers or there's still a a residue of pain when we think about the word or the concept of Father God. Would Would you help us, just by the power of your spirit, begin to separate, eradicate those thoughts or associations with you as Father? Would you help us to trust your love in a, in a new and fresh way, God? And may, maybe even there's an area of our lives this morning that we've been holding back from you because we really don't trust your love, God. Would you help us just to open our hearts and open our hands to you today? Say, Father, where I haven't trusted you, I'm gonna start trusting you, God. I wanna open these dark areas, these secret compartments of my heart or my mind where I haven't trusted you, whether it's with a relationship or with finances or with whatever it is, God, help me open up those dark places that I've withheld from you and just trust you with them. Trust your love. That even in good seasons, even in bad seasons, that you're a good father and you will work all things together for my good because I do love you. I am called according to your purpose, God. And so because of all of that, would you help us to walk in confidence, boldness, no fear? Would you teach us to love one another with a radical kind of love, the same kind of love that you loved us with, that sent you to the cross for us? Would you help us to engage with your love in such a way that it overflows to one another, not so that we could puff ourselves up and pat ourselves on the back, but so that a lost and dying world would look in at us and say, that's a beautiful kind of love. And I need that. And that more and more we would point people who are far from you to the hope that they can have in Jesus Christ so that they too could experience what we've experienced. Hope, freedom, abundant life in Jesus. I pray for the person here watching online who doesn't have that today. That maybe today would be the day that they would lay down their arms as rebels against the perfect and holy God who loves them. And maybe for the first time, they would surrender their lives to you and say, God, everything that I am is yours. I give you all of me. And I turn from my sin and I turn to your son, Jesus. I want your Holy Spirit to indwell me, to lead me in life. I want to experience knowing this heavenly father, not knowing about him, but knowing him personally. I want to experience that, God. For that person, would they just cry out some words like that? Pledge their allegiance to you and find new life in Christ.
Christ. It's in his name that we ask we pray all these things. Amen. Church, let's stand let's worship.